Thank you, Alan, and good morning, Crossroads. Before I start, I just want to say a big thank you to our pastors and our leaders. Uh, your response in this time of crisis and your efforts to help navigate us through this storm is so encouraging to see, and it makes me so proud and thankful to God, and it makes me realize we're in this together, and I do not take that for granted. So on behalf of me and my family, uh, thank you and well done. As you might know, we're in the middle of a mini-series uh, about the end times called, Is This the End? And last week, Pastor Paul shared with us a refreshing historical perspective on Jesus' prophecies in Matthew 24. Uh, it was really enlightening and encouraging to many of us. I heard many good responses from all of you. So if you missed it, I highly recommend you uh, go back to our YouTube channel and watch it again. So today's topic relates to what we can actually expect to happen in the final chapter of this age, the end times. Uh, we'll discover what we as Christians can expect for the future uh, and also how we can prepare for it. Uh, we will dig into the Word together and there will be quite some Bible study involved, some Bible verses. Uh, so do hold on to your seats and to your Bibles because here we go. Uh, one key passage for this end-time hope that we as Christians have uh, is this passage from uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Let me read it to you. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. We are encouraged by the Apostle Peter to always be ready to explain the hope that is in us. How much more so in a time where the world is basically stopped in its tracks by a deadly virus? Uh, I saw a news item the other week where the leader of the Christian party uh, used the resurrection event of Jesus uh, at Easter to give hope to the people in Parliament during this crisis. And my prayer is that today's message will also instill hope in your hearts and in that of your loved ones, because we have something to look forward to. So the end times, what do you think of when you think about the end times? Just close your eyes for a second. What, what comes to mind? Uh, what thoughts pop up into your head? Uh, do you perhaps think about something like nuclear war, something that we've seen in the Second World War? Do you think about maybe the apocalypse with the four horsemen? Uh, maybe you think about uh, an alien invasion like in Independence Day or more recently the Avenger movies. Maybe you think about the coronavirus. Or perhaps you think about more Christian themes such as the rapture of Christians uh, popularized by Hal Lindsey's book and uh, in the Kirk Cameron Left Behind movies. Maybe you think about the Antichrist arriving on the scene or uh, intense persecution of believers. The images and associations with the end times are often very rich and vivid, and it's a topic surrounded by quite intense debate at times. Some controversial books are out there and movies, uh, but there's also some great tradition. Uh, so in the theological field, and Paul touched on this a little bit last week, this area of study of the end times is called eschatology. That's a beautiful Greek word, eschatology. And it's derived from eschatos, meaning furthest or last. 
When you look at the dictionary, uh, it actually says of eschatology, eschatology that it's the part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul of humankind. And that's a pretty good definition, I think. So these terms, eschatology and end times, they're generally used to refer to the period of time leading up to the return or second coming of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons this is such an interesting topic is that uh, the Bible is very clear about some things, and we'll share some of those things today, while not revealing all the details about other things. So why is it important that we study this topic? Why do we look at this now? Well, I think for starters, it really influences our witness of the good news of Jesus. As I mentioned, things are falling apart around us. I don't have to tell you about that. The world is facing massive medical and economic and environmental challenges. So Peter's words, they ring true today. And knowing about the end times can give us hope, can give us endurance in times of struggle. And it can open people's hearts for the good news about Jesus. But it can also help us prepare our hearts. Uh, like the wise virgin from Jesus' parable that Paul talked about last week. We know some will rejoice at the Lord's coming while others will want to hide from Him. Some will receive a reward, while others will receive a form of punishment. And we don't necessarily want to prepare by uh, hiding in a bunker, though it's maybe nice if you know someone that has one. Uh, but we want to prepare our hearts, right? So today we're going to cover these three essential beliefs that we hold here at Crossroads about the end times. Um, that I will share with you shortly. But the key takeaway for today, if you walk with this, today will be a good day. Uh, and that's that Jesus is humanity's ultimate hope. Jesus is humanity's ultimate hope. And we want to get some clarity on these end times by looking specifically at these three essential beliefs. The first one is Jesus' physical return, the second coming. The second one is the bodily resurrection from the dead. And the third one is the final judgment. Now, at Crossroads, we believe these elements are essential to our faith. We believe that Jesus held them. We believe the apostles did. Uh, we believe the early church held them. Uh, and they kind of form our building blocks for the conversations we want to have around the other details surrounding the end times. Just look at me with, uh, with look at me to uh, to this slide. Uh, today we'll kind of cover the foundational beliefs shown in the bottom uh, rectangle. But what we'll not go into today is the period of tribulation, which refers to the difficult period of believers and for believers before Christ's return. There are several views about what this great tribulation will look like. Uh, we'll touch on, but we'll not go into much detail into the millennial views which have to do with what Jesus' reign will look like and when it actually starts. And the same has to do with the eternal states of souls. I know I'm disappointing some of you, but we have to make some choices uh, to, uh, just to consider our time. So the first point we're going to cover is the second coming, or as I like to call it, the return of the king. Now, it's important to understand that we realize when the Bible speaks of the last days or end times, it generally speaks of the time before Jesus' return. So from the Bible, we understand that in a way, we are already living in the end times. 
also known as the last days. Read with me in Hebrews 1, verse 2. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. In these last days. We are currently living in these last days, according to the apostles. But we also get the idea that the last days still have a future element to them. Read with me, for instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, but Paul writes, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. There will come. So there is still a future tense for the last days as well. So what does it mean when we talk about the end? Well, as Christians, we believe that as we are living in the last days, this time of the last days will end when Jesus visibly returns to earth. And the return of Jesus is sometimes referred to as the parousia, meaning a presence or arrival in Greek. This return of Christ will signify the end of this age and world as we currently know it and usher in a whole new age. Jesus' return is perhaps a little bit like New Year's Eve. At 12 o'clock, one year ends and another year starts. Uh, it's perhaps a little bit like the appearing of movie credits at the end of a film. If it's a good movie, you might not want it to end, and when the screen turns black, you hope it continues. But once the final music starts playing and the credits start rolling, you know the movie is finally over. And it's the same with the appearing of Jesus. Once He appears, this age as we know it will be over. Uh, look with me at this quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity. He says, when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. Now, the second coming is probably among one of the most widely taught topics in the New Testament. Uh, we know that Jesus taught it. He speaks of his return in the Gospels quite frequently. Uh, several times he speaks of the coming of the Son of Man, for instance, in the final part of Matthew 24. Uh, he also shares in the upper room that he's going to prepare a place and will come back again in John 14. And he says his return will be like lightning striking from east to west in the sky. Angels spoke of it in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. It says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they, that's his disciples, were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus taught it. Angels taught it. The apostles also taught it. For instance, in Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 19 to 21, it says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. We also know that the early apostolic and church fathers proclaimed it. Uh, for instance, in the Apostles' Creed uh, in 390 A.D. at the Synod of Milan, we read uh, a little bit towards the end this proclamation. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again 
to judge the living and the dead. The dead. In fact, uh, to even today, most Christian theologians will agree on this. Um, whether they're Catholic or whether they're Orthodox or Protestant, uh, they all agree that Christ will return. And at Crossroads, we also affirm the definiteness of this event, so important, the actual, physical, personal return of Jesus. Now, this has a lot of implications for us and for our lives. Like a friend of mine, uh, when I was still studying, he used to have a sticker in his room, and it said, everybody look busy because Jesus is coming back. We don't want to prepare for Jesus' return uh, by looking ready, but by being ready in our heart. I want to be ready in my heart. Being ready means we've uh, surrendered our hearts to Jesus in every area of our lives. Uh, just, just in Matthew 24 and 25, uh, Jesus encourages us to be prepared, to be watchful, uh, to be wise, to be kind to the hungry, uh, the prisoner and the stranger to not be deceived, to pray and to be filled with the Spirit. These are the ways we prepare our hearts for the return of Jesus. So we have a true privilege of being uh, hopeful and joyful and thank you, thank, thankful for that. And I just want to say, if you don't know Jesus yet, but you want to know Him, uh, there will be some people ready to pray with you after this message. Get to know Jesus and be ready for His return. It's the best decision uh, you can make. All right, so number one, Jesus will return. Number two is the resurrection from the dead, or as I like to say, a glorious body awaits. Now, when we say resurrection from the dead, look, we're not talking about a zombie apocalypse, okay? I mean, I was once in Universal Studios uh, where they had this ride, and it was based on people walking around as zombies, and they would scare you as you went. I, honestly, I might have jumped into Lydia's arms a few times uh, during that ride. That's a true story. This is not about the walking dead. This is a resurrection from the dead. And although for all of us there is an appointed time to die, we have the hope of a physical, bodily resurrection from the dead. Jesus said we will come out of the tomb. Read with me in John chapter 5, verse 28 to 29. And Jesus says, Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Paul even goes as far to say to the Corinthians that the resurrection is actually central to their faith. Uh, read with me in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12 to 14. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul writes that the resurrection of the dead has in fact already begun with the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, as Paul describes it, is the beginning and the firstborn of God's new creation in Colossians 1.15. He is the first fruits from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15. He is the first sign of the new age. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 12. It's kind of like the cherry blossoms that we just saw this spring 
that, were, that were blooming and blossoming, the almond trees. They signify spring. Jesus' resurrection is like that first spring flower, or that spring blossom of the future resurrection. You know, Lydia and I were one time coming back from a holiday in Italy, and Lydia was pregnant with Lily, and we got a flat tire, and we were stranded by the side of the road, and of course, we, nobody could help us, and the tow truck towed us to this industrial lot where we had to spend the night, and we kind of felt like Joseph and Mary on the road, and then uh, the next day when we got on the road again, we saw those, the signs of, of uh, Holland again, the Dutch road signs, and we were so happy. Jesus is that first road sign. So what will this resurrection be like? Well, we don't know a lot, but we know a little bit through Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 15. That's really a great chapter to read if you're interested to know more about this. Uh, one of the things we know from there is that it will be bodily in nature. Uh, so it's important to affirm that it, this does indeed refer to a bodily, physical resurrection. That also means that matter is, in our body isn't necessarily evil. Our future body will also be glorious and incorruptible. We'll have a recreated, glorified type of body. Now, I know some of us feel like we already have quite a glorious body right now, but trust me, uh, it'll be nothing compared to what we'll experience on that day. Paul says our future body will be incorruptible. It will not die anymore. Our body will be both physical and metaphysical. If you look at Jesus' body after the resurrection, it seems to be uh, moving through walls. Uh, he was sometimes unrecognizable, able to enter into heaven, uh, sometimes to appear and disappear. So it's safe to say we'll have special abilities. The resurrection will also involve both the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, most references of the resurrection are about faithful believers in God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, Jesus speaks of the resurrection of the righteous in Luke 14. Uh, Paul expresses his desire to attain to the resurrection of the dead in uh, Philippians 3. But there are also several passages that hint to a resurrection of the unrighteous or unbelievers or those who don't know God. Uh, for instance, in Daniel 12, verse 2, and in John chapter 5. And Paul seems to clearly refer to it himself in Acts 25, verse 14 and 15. There is one verse, Revelation 25, that might or seem to indicate uh, that there are multiple resurrections, but I don't have time to go into that today. It's safe to say that at the resurrection of the dead, all of creation will benefit. The heavens and the earth will be renewed. There will be no more death and corruption. There will be no more evil. What a day to look forward to. In Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Lastly, we find witness to the resurrection from the dead uh, in, in other scriptures as well. It is attested by Isaiah, Isaiah 26, verse 19. Uh, as I mentioned, it's attested by Daniel in uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. By Jesus, look for instance at Mark 12, verse 24 to 27, where Jesus is challenging the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, and by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. So there will be a, Jesus will return and there will be a resurrection from the dead. 
Number three is the final judgment. It's important to realize that the Bible teaches that Christ Himself will judge the world. So important. Read with me in Matthew 11, verse 23 to 24. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Even though we know that God's judgment has in some ways already become visible, Jesus spoke about that, for instance, in John chapter 3, if you don't believe, you're already judged. Paul writes about that a little bit in Romans 1. We also believe there pertains a future judgment event where we will all appear before Jesus. In Hebrews 9, verse 27 and 28, it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. So what will this judgment look like? Well, for one thing, we know that this judgment will take place after Jesus' second coming. We know that from Matthew 16, verse 24. We know that all the nations, all countries and people groups will be brought before the throne of God where Jesus Himself will judge. Jesus will judge all peoples and nations. Uh, we know that Jesus will carry out the Father's will. Uh, we know that everything that's hidden will finally come to light. Not a stone of human history will be left unturned. Paul writes that we will all appear before Christ's judgment seat so that we may receive what is our due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, he writes. Uh, we know that evil angels will be judged by Christ in 2 Peter 2, verse 4. We know that good angels will help gather humanity before God. Uh, we know that this judgment will have an eternal impact or consequence uh, from Romans 2, verse 12. And we know that Jesus will subdue and eradicate all evil and hand the kingdom over to the Father so that God will be all in all. That's a beautiful promise. Now, I know this might answer some of your questions and maybe not all, uh, but I hope this will provide a good foundation for our future study and discussions on this topic. So just to sum up what we know and what we believe to be essential elements uh, of our belief system about the end times as Christians here at Crossroads. One, we affirm Jesus' actual physical return. Two, the righteous and the unrighteous will both be raised from the dead and judged by Jesus Christ. And we will receive a glorified, transformed body. And number three, there will be a final judgment executed by Jesus in the name of the Father through God's Spirit. So we can be hopeful and thankful as this day approaches. Jesus doesn't ask for us to prepare for this event by hiding in caves. In fact, um, the Bible always talks about unbelievers and says that's what the unbelievers will do when He arrives. No, He asks us to prepare by shining our light into the world right now in whichever way God's Spirit finds expression in you and me. 
Paul had a beautiful quote from Martin Luther last week, so I'll quote him too today. Martin Luther said, Even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree today. Crossroads, let's put our hand to the plow and continue laboring in God's beautiful vineyard until that final trumpet call. Amen.